Hi, welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, author of Fuck Like a Goddess, creator of Radical Awakenings, transformational coach, and student of life. I'm here to stand with you asking questions about what is sacred and what is profane and the space between. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. I want to tell you about our sponsor today, Beducated. Beducated is an online site that has classes and courses focused on love, sex, intimacy, and even a great class called Sexual Confidence, which plays perfectly into today's episode. You can get a free trial for all Beducated courses right now, and I have a special discount for you if you want to access that class and all the other classes. You can use my link in the show notes and my discount code GODDESS, and you'll receive a permanent discount off their yearly pass, not just for a year, but forever. (laughs) So enjoy this podcast today. Have fun exploring their site, and let's move on to the episode. Hi, everybody. On today's podcast, I have author, sex educator, writer, podcaster, Evian Whitney, author of The Sensual Self. This conversation was really good, very liberating for me sexually, like so good, which I do, I find uh, her work to be also just so liberating. So I hope you enjoy, share with your friends and uh, let me know how it goes for you. Hi, everybody. Today, I have Evian Whitney here with us, and she is an author. She's a podcaster and a human who does many other things, which I'm sure we're going to hear about today. But I came across her work, um, I think, on Instagram, and I found then your podcast, and I started listening to it, and I was really fascinated. I was like, oh, my God, this human is so generous and vulnerable and open. And um, the word like visionary came into my mind a lot. And like mm. there's like this spirit of exploration that felt so generous to receive. So I'm Aww. excited to to chat with you more about that today. So thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And thank you for such a beautiful introduction. Yeah. Well, I'd love to start with hearing how you are currently defining yourself and what you do with your time. Because I know so many of us wear multiple hats and operate in different spheres. So who are you today? (laughs) That is a great question. Um, Who am I today? Well, I am the parent of a puppy. So that is very much in my life right now, Uh, especially today as I've been potty training and crate training. It's been a whole, a whole thing. Um, I would call myself a writer today. Yeah. Um, I definitely would call myself a sexuality doula. That's something that's been with me pretty much since I started the work that I do. Um, yeah, I am non-binary. I am, I am on the ACE spectrum and I'm black. So yeah, those are, (laughs) those are all the, the identities that I am occupying today and always for the most part. Yeah. Well, I love hearing, hearing those, not that, you know, I think about identity a lot and I think about like where, which, which identity I feel closest to on any given day, you know, Um, is it growing up in Georgia? Is it growing up partially in Brazil? Is it being a writer? Is it my spiritual guidance, you know, and I find that, um, those, those 
some of those identities like loosen and and tighten and flower and um, kind of quiet depending on the day. So I appreciate yeah. hearing that. And the one that stuck out to me that I would love to hear more is a sexuality doula. I'd love to hear about how you began your path as a sexuality doula and what you define that as. Yeah. Um, as a sexuality doula, I help guide people into giving birth to their sexual selves, whatever that looks like for them. Um, and I'm not always focused on the sex that they're having. Mm -hmm. um, the way that I work is very holistic in the sense that I'm not just thinking about how I'm going to get you to have better sex. I'm also thinking about like, what makes you feel safe in your body? Like what calms your nervous system down? Um, what are the shames or traumas or triggers that have kept you from accessing the full spectrum of your various identities or um, the pleasure that you contain. So my work as a sexuality doula is so vast and it's really expanded out to be so much more than just like, I help people have better sex in their sex lives. Um, in my work, I have helped people come to the realization and claim their identity as being queer, as being asexual, as being kinky. Um, and then I've also helped folks really define what they need in terms of how to find safety and resource in their body after being, um, after experiencing some form of sexual assault. So, I do this in so many ways. It's like, I'm a coach, I'm a guide, I'm a counselor, um, I'm a therapist. And I'm, I'm often people's like really, really good friends because they often aren't able to talk about sex um, and any sort of issues or disconnections that they're having with their bodies with other people. So um, there've been many times when I'm in session with someone and they'll say like, I've never told this to anyone, but I feel... Like I'm able to talk to you and you can guide me through this process. Um, and as for how I got into this work, you know, I, I came into it from my own selfish longing to understand who I am as a sexual and sensual being. Um, I was raised in purity culture. I signed my first purity contract when I was eight. Wow. So the the notion of sexu sex and sexuality was very, very negative for me. Yeah. It had a lot of negative and, and fear-based connotations. Mm -hmm. And even though I have been separated from the church for many, many years, I was noticing that those... Um, those messages, those narratives, uh, those, those stories of shame were still impacting the way that I was able to show up, not only to my relationship and, and sex with my partner, but the way that I saw myself as a sexual being. Yeah. Um, and so from that place, I just started getting really curious, like who would I be if I didn't have these stories of shame? And if I could choose a different story, a story that is going to hold all of the pleasure potential and curiosity and um, sensuality that I desire for my sex life. Like, what would I want that to look like? Mm -hmm. And um, I started doing a lot of just deep personal inner work around my own sexual core wounds. And um, sometimes I would share that publicly on the internet and yeah. people took notice and I think from there, folks started to see me as a voice within this realm of sexual liberation and healing. And 
it kind of skyrocketed from there. I, I often tell people that I didn't choose this work. This work chose me. And um, I just felt like I was meant to heed the call of being a voice in this space to help other people heal themselves in the same way that I am in the process of healing myself. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Um, I love that you said that you're often a good friend and that that feels like such an entry point of like the kindness that a good friend could offer perhaps around this really tender place for a lot of us. Um, yeah. So I'm curious about you. you sorry. About I'm curious. You mentioned growing up in purity culture, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background in the church and how um, your own ideas around sexuality were formed. And then what was the the breakthrough point or the point of transformation for you? Yeah, um, it's it's so difficult uh, to kind of pinpoint like how I was raised. I, I've been talking to my mom about this a little bit, like what denomination of Christianity <laughs> were we? You know, because sometimes people ask because they yeah. hear they hear a purity contract and they're like, oh, you were like really strict, but um, we weren't. It was it was sort of um, the Christianity that I was given was both strict and also very like chill. Like we're cool Christians, you know. Uh-huh, Sometimes uh-huh. we'll listen to secular music, but also you should stay a virgin until you're married, you know. So, yeah. um, but if I had to define it just based on some of the the study that I've done um, around other denominations, I would say I was raised sort of like Baptist evangelical. Christian. Um, and that really reigns true when I think about the ways, um, and the lessons that I was taught about my body, about sex, um, about this concept of virginity and even, um, you know, the, the homophobia that was also indoctrinated into me as well. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I am the type of person that really tends to follow the rules until they don't make sense. Yeah. (laughs) And up to a point I was like, okay, this makes sense. My virginity, whatever sex until, you know, or wait until I'm married to have sex. Sure. And then after a while, it just stopped making sense. And, and especially when I thought about the own wisdom of my body and what I wanted, Mm -hmm. um, and the desires that I had and the natural curiosity I had about my body and pleasure and sensuality, it just never made sense to me that it was meant to be this strict and that I was supposed to be so chaste and um, controlled over myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would say that my choice to have sex before I was married was like one of the first decisions that I made that was going against the grain of this culture and, um, the, the teachings that I was given from authority figures, like my parents and my pastor. Um, and it was a really, it was a really good decision for me to make because it gave me a lot of agency. And also it was very complicated because I made that decision when I was in a relationship with someone who, um, I know now to have been sexually abusive to me. And because of the lack of sex education that I got, um, the sex education was pretty much don't have sex, you will get AIDS and die. Um, or you will get pregnant wow. and die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, um, you know, burn <sighs> in, in the, the fiery depths of hell. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't have a concept of consent. I didn't have a concept of what a healthy sexual relationship or um, healthy sexual dynamic looked like. So for me, after hearing so much in my church and from my parents that sex is love. And if you love someone, you have sex with them. I'm like, oh, this person loves me. I love him. 
naturally sex is, yeah. is the way to go. Um, so yeah, that, that, that decision was pretty complicated in that, like, I felt that it was my choice. Um, it was me exercising my sexual autonomy as well as it wasn't a fully informed decision because I had no idea what it meant to be sexual with someone else. And I wasn't given the tools to navigate the really complex waters of the sexual dynamic that wasn't healthy. And was actually, um, there, there was a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of, um, just like not good energy with that. Yeah. Yeah. And was there a particular, um, turning point after going through, those first experiences, which you later, you know, use the word to be abusive, but I, I hear that at the time it's like, okay, I'm just diving in, but later yeah. on your journey, was there a particular book or healer or teacher or a person that called you into the point of healing? Hmm. I remember, so for a long time, the relationship that I was in previous to the one that I'm in now, um, I just thought it was normal. I thought that that's what sex was and, um, that that's what love was. And so it wasn't until I got into the relationship that I'm in now that I really, and we got together very young. Um, I was 19 when I met my husband. It wasn't until we got into that relationship that I realized, oh, this, this is different. Like, this is a different kind of love. This, this mm -hmm. is like, this is a safe love. This is unconditional love. Um, this is what it's supposed to feel like. And I think having such safety in that relationship and so much compatibility, and he was just, he's just such a warm and gentle, um, gentle man. I think that that allowed me to finally have access to what sexual intimacy could look like. Like I could really allow myself to unfurl and surrender and also take up space within my sexuality. Whereas before in the other relationship, I felt like I was really, I was really, I had to like shrink myself. Yeah. Um, like I wasn't allowed to occupy that space. And it was a beautiful thing. And also it was very overwhelming because having such a stark contrast led me to understand like, oh, that wasn't just like a bad relationship with sometimes bad sex. That was like actual abuse. That was actual rape. And the first couple of years of my relationship with Jonathan, my partner now was like, I couldn't even think about having sex because I, I was just spinning around this idea of like, what, oh my, what is sex? What, who am I? Like, what did I just experience and had been experiencing all along? So there was, there was a, there was a long period where I just, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know if sex was something that, um, I could have, which, you know, thinking now I'm like, oh, there's, there's some, some asexuality in there as well. Um, but a lot of it had to do with trauma, um, and just sexual confusion and shame. And then finally, when I, I began to think like, okay, so that's the past, who do I want to be right now? Um, what sort of relationship do I want to have with my partner who is so loving and so kind and, um, and so gentle and really wants to create a safe space for me to find my own self um, in this relationship. And some of the things that I read, first I read um, the diaries of Anais Nin. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. Oh yeah, I definitely like, I'm a Pisces and I started reading her diaries when I was 
in college and I still reread them when I'm feeling like whimsical. <laughs> yeah. I can't help but notice on your bookshelf, you have one of her books and I'm like, yes, I know that, yeah. that book cover because it's, it's, it's kind also... of a statement to have this it one. Yes. It's down <laughs> in my office. This one I wouldn't have in the living room. And for those yeah. of you listening, it's called incest and, um, you know, it ties into a, a larger mythology of her life and her relationship with her father. So as, as, um, intense as it is to use a word like that. There's, there's yes. more to it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I couldn't help but notice. Cause I'm yeah. very familiar with the way that that book looks. Um, but, uh, yeah, Ana Yusnin was someone that I just, her diaries really opened up this, this portal. I feel like into like what sexual freedom and empowerment can look like and how it's okay for me to claim my own sexual desires and how, there is so much potential for me to be in my own erotic power that I just didn't have access to or think was possible for me. So I loved her work and yeah. it really just blew me open and, and got me so much more curious about like, okay, so now I'm understanding why people say that sex is as powerful as it is. And I even had a moment during that time where sort of full circle, I was thinking like, that's why my church was telling me not to access sex. It's not about like sex is evil. It's like, there's, there's so much agency and autonomy that especially for women and folks who have been, um, acculturated as women, th that's not something that folks want for us to, um, to hold or claim. So it was really interesting. It was, it's, it was a really interesting process for me to get mm -hmm. to this space. Yeah. And I think with, with her work, it's liberated so many people. And I, I remember reading, um, an article once that said like, she was the original blogger. Like mm, she was like, yes. like the first person that was just like, you know, and, and granted she didn't publish all of her diaries until after one of her two husbands passed because they, it wasn't, um, an open relationship that was kind of everyone consenting, but yes. she followed her desire to have two partners and multiple partners at many different times at the time, though, it just wasn't something that was in the you know, cultural lexicon of like to be non-monogamous. And so right. she suffered so much, um, mm -hmm. you know, and held so many feelings inside about it. And I'm curious because I have listened to your podcast and heard some about your relationship with your husband. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about you coming into um, your current understanding of your own sexuality and how you're in partnership. Yeah, that's been, that's been such a beautiful experience. I feel like I have been so lucky that I have found this man who is able to hold all of the nuances and complexities of who I am um, and not see them as like a detriment to the relationship, but something that just adds a little bit of spice and some healthy challenging to our understandings of what a relationship and marriage and love should look like. Um, pretty much since we got together, I mean, we've been pretty unconventional. We knew that we wanted to get married, but it wasn't coming from that place of like, oh, we're going to get married so we can have kids and buy a house. It was like, let's get married because we love each other. And it would be mm. fun to do. Like we eloped, we went to Vegas and it was oh. just like, it was a blast. Um, and that's that's kind of been like, been the trajectory of our relationship. You know, we've, we have stayed really close to ourselves and, um, 
we're always in the space of wanting to honor each other individually. Um, we never wanted, we're both parents, uh, our, both of our parents have divorced. And so we never wanted our marriage or our relationship to look anything remotely like what we had when we were growing up. And so we were pretty, pretty like soon into the relationship. We were sort of carving our own path in terms of what we want um, a marriage to look like. And in a lot of ways, our marriage is not uh, conventional. It's not traditional. Uh, we've been in an open relationship technically for like nine, 10 years. Um, and that was a choice that we both made because I identify as queer and he also identifies as queer. And it was something that those identities are something that's, that is really important to us. And we didn't want the relationship that we're in together to keep us separated from those parts of ourselves. Um, so we opened our relationship as a way to honor and acknowledge um, our ability to um, want to have sex with and also be in relationship with people that are not our partners. Um, and yeah, you know, I think as, as we've gotten older in our relationship, we just celebrated 15 years together. Wow. We realized, yeah, so. yeah, thank you. Um, we were realizing that, you know, and we've been through so, so much together. I mean, the last sort of big decision that we made and the a sort of collective change that we went through was living apart for a year. Um, and that was something that I really needed, um, sort of thinking about how I have certain desires and certain wants and needs for my own personal health and sanity and happiness. And sometimes those weren't matching up to what my partner wanted. Um, and we made the decision to, to live apart. We were still together. We weren't separating or getting a divorce. We were still in a relationship with each other, but I wanted to find space, um, on my own to see who am I when I'm not in a relationship? Who am I when I'm not a wife? Yeah. Um, because again, we got together so young and that was such a transformational experience. Yeah. And so now are you complete with the year apart? Or are you still in the middle of it or? No, we, um, he actually moved back, um, a little over a year ago. Yeah. So he moved back in January and, um, you know, we hit this, we hit this point in the experience where we just felt done, you know, like it just sort of ran its course and we got everything what, that we needed to get out of it. And at, at one point I was just like, I just, fucking want you here. Like, I, Aww, I really yeah. just want you here. I'm, I love who I am when I'm alone, but I also love who I am when I'm with you. And, um, it, the reunion was really lovely and, um, it's been really nice to rediscover each other. Um, after having that period of, of separation, which was also during the pandemic, which made it wow. that much more <laughs> wild. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so are you all both living in LA now? We are. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So you were in Portland before? I was. Yeah. yeah. So he stayed behind, um, not in Portland proper. He was uh, on the coast of Oregon and then I moved down to LA. Nice. And so yeah. now you guys both got the sunshine. Yes. It's uh. so great. I, I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. I, I, I love being here. I'm from here originally. So okay. it was really, it was really wonderful to come back home. 
Mm, beautiful. So the other piece of your journey, which I just found to be so refreshing, I think, I think there's something just very um, honest and refreshing about hearing your journey of your relationship. And I imagine a lot of people experience you that way or your work that way. It not only gives permission, but in, um, in just like the way I experience it is just like in a, in a, just an honest, light, open way. Not like mm. everyone should be non-monogamous. <laughs> and like, ah, you know, like yeah. this is why it's the best thing ever. But like, oh, this is what we do. And and there was, I think that's the difference. I was like, oh, this feels so kind of non-intrusive, but I'm also like drawing nearer. I'm leaning in, you mm. know, yeah. um, which feels like a particular type of invitation that that our work can be, you know, and I have times where I'm like more like, okay, everybody, this is what I want to give you. And times where it's like, um, yeah, it's a little bit of a gentle invitation. Like if you want to come, come, if not, it's all good. <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's how I felt when I was listening to your podcast. And the other piece that I was just felt, it felt so refreshing to hear was about your asexuality. And I'd love to hear how you came into that journey and then defined it and then came out as that as well. Yeah. Um, my, my ACE journey has been a whirlwind. Um, I kind of alluded, um, Mm -hmm. in this conversation already that I've seen nudges of being on the ACE spectrum, but I never wanted to claim that within myself or honor that because, of this over-sexualized compulsory sexuality world that we live in. Like we live in a world that tells us that we are supposed to be sexual. And if we're not sexual, there's something wrong with us and we need to fix ourselves. Um, And we also live in a world that assumes that everybody is sexual and they're going to show up to sex with the same amount of desire, um, the same amount of libido. And uh, if you don't have that sort of set standard, then again, there's something wrong with you and you need to be fixed either through a pharmaceutical or you need to go to therapy or maybe have some deep, dark demons that you haven't um, uprooted yet. And that was kind of my experience. You know, Um, I feel like the way that I have desired sex or the way that I operate within attraction to other people has always been different. And I just thought that that difference wasn't just like my eyes are brown, your eyes are blue and that's okay. We can, we can be in our differences at the same time. It was more like, I am different in a bad way. Like there's Mm -hmm. something wrong with me Mm -hmm. that I need to fix. Um, And it wasn't until I started reading Angela Chen's book, Ace, that it really just highlighted for me, like, wow, I am asexual. Like, I didn't think that I was, and I had been running away from this truth and this part of myself for so long that, um, I mean, out of fear and out of shame and out of just like ignorance, you know, there's, there's not a lot that we get taught about asexuality in a positive light, right? (laughs) you know, I mean, we, we learn about, at least for me, even as a sex educator, um, my education around asexuality has been very, very limited. Um, so it makes sense why I 
didn't embrace this part of me, but reading um, Angela Chen's book, Ace, was so illuminating. Hearing from other people who are ace and are on the ace spectrum, hearing their stories about the ways that they are navigating intimacy and sensuality and desire and libido, it just really validated and affirmed my own experience. And um, I felt like now, now it, it feels like it's okay for me to to accept that this is a part of me. Um, and it's been so liberating to come to that truth. And I feel like I'm better able to show up to my work and also show up to myself now that I am being very honest about like, this is who I am and that is that is okay, you know? How, how would someone know if they maybe are on the ACE spectrum? What would be some of those kind of first markers or things to look for? I mean, any, it's so hard because it's like, it's like that question of like, how does someone know that they could be like queer or trans? You know, I, I think honestly, if you are a person who has ever felt like the standard narrative of sexuality, of how it's supposed to be done, performed, felt, experienced, has never really been in alignment, in alignment with who I am, maybe you could be asexual, you know? Um, or maybe you are just someone that has a different experience of sexuality outside of this like um, predominant narrative that like sex, you're supposed to have sex all the time. You're supposed to be horny and desiring people all the time. Um, and for some, like that is their truth and there's nothing wrong with that, but, um, there are very, there there's, there's variations and there's also nuances to sexuality that I think that we're just now being able to talk about. Um, even in my work as a sex educator, I've been doing this work for 11 years. I am just now waking up to the realization that not everybody is going to desire the same. Like not everybody experiences being horny in the same way that we might see it in the media or we might hear our friends talk about it. So I, I, in my experience, both like personally as someone who identifies as ace and also working with folks who um, are questioning their sexuality and could be ace too. I feel like if you, if you are thinking about it, if you have to ask yourself, not necessarily that you are that, but I think that that is an indication that there is something different about the way that you access your sexuality and um, that there should be a little bit of curiosity about those differences and some space given to allow those differences to unfold within you. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And so as you are doing your work, educating and working with people one-on-one -on -one and in groups, and is there a way that you feel you can sense the difference with someone if they're kind of sexually shut down due to trauma or fear versus um, being a person who just identifies as being asexual. I think that would be great to hear for anyone listening. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I look at is, and I typically, people who work with me, they come to me because they're not having sex at all, or they feel a sense of sexual disconnection, either within their relationship or within themselves. Um, maybe they're experiencing shame. Um, maybe they are remembering traumatic experiences that they've had, and they want to come to me to um, sort of fix themselves. 
And in the process of our working together, you know, one of the curiosities that I have is, are you wanting to have sex because you actually want to? Like there is a desire in your body and in your bones that's like, I know this feeling, I love this feeling, I want to access this part of myself, um, or I see other people accessing this part of themselves and like, I crave that, I crave that, um, that boldness and uh, that authenticity. So that's one thing. That's, that's one thing, but are, or are you feeling like you have to be that kind of sexual person? Like, um, in order for you to be whole or worthy of love or to have a healthy relationship, you should be having sex three times a week. Um, you should be dating multiple people. You should be having like the kinkiest sex of all time. Like I really try to discern with folks, what is an actual desire that comes from a place of I want to versus what is a desire that is actually rooted in I should. Right, or I such a great to. distinction. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to discern those. I mean, I think sometimes, and this is coming up for a client that I'm working with right now, the want to, and the should are very enmeshed, you know, and it's really difficult to piece them apart because of the cultural messaging that we've been given and, um, the conditioning that we've received, especially for, for women that, um, I am to be of sexual service to the partner that I'm with, particularly if they're a man. So um, there's a lot of layers that get picked apart and it's it's so difficult to, um, to sort of answer that question. Yeah. Um, and I actually sort of tell people like, keep asking yourself this question. Is it from a place of should or if is, is it from a place of want to? And really discerning within your own body what, a should or an obligation feels like versus what a actual like guttural, intuitive, instinctive desire feels like. Yeah. Um, and that's the work there. That's where I try to like get people to get familiar with is the sensations of their yeah. body regarding desire um, because our bodies are so intelligent and um, we just need to listen to them, <laughs> the messages that they give us. Totally. I do a lot of work with women around this specifically. And, um, I know in my own body, when I'm like leaning into a should, it feels like icky. It feels yeah. like my, it's EBGBs is what I get. And like, when I was younger, I used to pretend I wasn't having those EBGBs. If it's mm -hmm. a sexual moment and I'm like, yeah, like trying to just get on board with what's happening. But like, I'd be like, <laughs> inside. And now as an adult about to turn 38 in a few weeks, I make those sounds out loud when mm. I'm in a sexual moment and I'm like, ooh, ooh. Uh, it's, I, it's the, it's like the way that I don't abandon my truth. It's alarming mm. to my partner because of course they're going to be like, <laughs> what did I do wrong? But I'm like, I am, I am practicing not betraying myself and what I'm feeling mm. in this moment as much, even though it's uncomfortable, even though it might upset you, even though it might offend you, <laughs> like, can it's like, there's this, this, I've only been to a few Al-Anon meetings. Both of my parents have some of that, but there's one thing that they have all these incredible sayings. And one of them is say what you mean, but don't say it mean. Mm. <laughs> so I feel like in, yes. bed, in those moments, you know, when the should comes in, it's like, letting it come out, like saying what you mean, like, oh, that feels just doesn't feel right. But not being like, ew, 
that just feels terrible. Why would you do yeah. that to me? You know? Yeah. And what's interesting about this is that this doesn't just have to apply to sex. Like sometimes I think that's, that's maybe a harder place for people to start because it is so combobulated with like all these different messages and shoulds and want tos. Um, but I, I tell people who are having trouble discerning what a should is from an actual desire, like what, what do you feel like when you're at work and someone tells you that you should do something and you really don't want to do it? Like notice what's happening in your body versus, um, when you're at home and you have a desire to eat something really delicious, like these, these are, these are experiences that we're having all of the time. And I think it's unfortunate that we only see this we, we only see it as maybe important or a muscle to flex when we're in a sexual realm. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of the work that I do with, with my clients is like, no, we're talking about sex right now, but this absolutely applies to your creative life. It applies to the relationship you have with your mom. It applies to the relationship that you have with your body in a platonic way. And, um, yeah, so much of my work is about like, trying to decentralize sex from um, just the ways that we are constantly thinking that like sex is super important. We need to have this area of our lives figured out. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's so many other areas of our lives as well that can, that can be sort of reinforced by the work that we're doing within the sexual realm. I love that. I think that's so important to consider is like, how do you have the same experience outside of such a highly charged environment so that you can practice with it? You know, it's kind of like if you're an actor and like you just go on stage expecting to figure out your lines, you know, it's like, no, you're going to like have it in a non like not as big of a charged moment. And so mm -hmm. using something like food, I mean, food can be supercharged for many, many people. So maybe right. it's a book like what <laughs> I should read this book about, you know, ABC that I'm supposed to know about these days. Right. But I don't want to read on Eisenman's diary again because mm -hmm. it liberates me and it feels so good. And finding those moments in our lives where we can practice that without a person that we love and we don't want to disappoint staring at us without our That's clothes right. being off, you know, because those moments also the past, the traumas, everything is like in the room. And so it makes the stakes so much higher mm -hmm. versus beginning to learn that feeling in the body of like, no, no, um, yeah. outside of that highly charged environment. So I loved how you brought that in that in, and so that people can um, broaden their sexual their, their sexual um, capacity of discerning the should and the desire all day, every day. Mm. Like mm -hmm. if you're in that life lesson or that soul lesson around kind of needing to clarify that you can practice that all day. I love that. I hadn't thought of that before. And I just, I hope, I think that that's really helpful. Yeah. So much of my work is about like the holisticism of, of yeah. everything, you know, yeah. I, I don't want to just have certain lessons be confined to the bedroom. Like, cause in, in my work, at least in, in my own experience, whatever is happening in the bedroom is likely happening in other areas of your life as well. Um, so I think it's, it's worth it to consider 
creating um, that same sort of continuity of, of confidence and um, excitement and passion in other areas of your life as well. Yeah. Why, why do you think we all got it in our heads that we're supposed to have sex like three times a week or we're weirdos or we're broken? Oh my God. That's been a question that I've been asking myself Me lately. Too. I actually, I, I did a podcast or not a podcast. I did a, um, a video on my Instagram about like the number in my head, you know, I saw like that. This, brilliant. Yeah. Loved like it. there's this, there's this number that has been following me around. And it's so crazy because the moment that I try to focus on that number and like pin it down, it changes, you know, like sometimes it'll be like, you're supposed to have sex once a week. And then other times it's like three times a day. So I don't know. <laughs> it's weird. I don't know where it comes from. Yeah. Part of me and, and kind of a flippant and shady way. I blame cosmopolitan. I, right. I, I got into, um, I don't know, this might be, I don't know if people remember this, but um, Cosmopolitan is for the adults, but they had Cosmo Girl for a yeah. while. I'm yeah. not sure if you're familiar with that. I I, I did YM and Teen okay. and then Cosmo. I don't know if they had Cosmo Girl, like when I, I may be a little older than you, but. Yeah, so the Cosmo Girl was like Cosmopolitan, but for like teens and tweens, which is really interesting to me. But a lot of yeah. a lot of what was in the magazine was like, here are the ways that you can sit poolside so that a boy will notice your body and <gasps> like think that you're really hot. God. Or here are the colors that you should adorn your eyes with so that when you look at your crush, he looks back to you. Like those are the sort of articles that were in there. And um yeah, I sort of I sort of blame Cosmo Girl for grooming me and then Cosmopolitan for like putting it in my head that like the, the more sex that you have, the better. Um, yeah. I also think something that came up for me yesterday, I was in an, another interview talking about something else completely, but um, I've been thinking about this too, about this idea of sexual liberation and like the sexual empowerment movement. Um, and this is something that actually Angela Chen talks about in her book, Ace, which I think is required reading even for okay. folks who don't think that they are asexual because it really is an interrogation on... Um, the hypersexualized uh, culture that we live yeah, in, um, yeah. and this notion of compulsory sexuality, this idea that everybody is sexual, and if you're not, then there's something wrong with you. Um, but she talks about how the sexual liberation movement, particularly for women, was sort of like in order to be sexually liberated, you have to fuck like a man, mm -hmm. and you have to have like lots of careless sex. And by careless, I don't mean like um, irresponsible, but like I don't care. Like it's not emotional. Right. It's just about the physicality. Um, and so I wonder if that's where that comes from. Like this right. idea that I'm being a bad feminist if I don't have mm. a lot of sex. Right. I don't know. I'm just sort of prattling on because yeah. this has been in my mind for the last couple of weeks, but I'm curious yeah. to hear what you, what you yeah. think about it. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I definitely agree that, and I grew up in like the sex and the watching sex in the city when I was in yes. high school. And there was this, like, we can have sex with whoever we want. We're so empowered. And then I, I went through some phases of trying that and it was really hard. You know, I definitely, I like, <laughs> so I, hard. I, I used drugs and alcohol to numb my mm. heart, you know, yeah. to numb my emotions. And it was maybe an important experiment for a while because I know for certain that that's not good for my body and for yeah. my heart and for my emotional self. Like, so it was a good experiment, but it did have repercussions for sure. And it, it came from, 
wondering like, yeah, like is, is it, is there something wrong with me because I'm so emotional and I get so attached mm. to everyone? Mm-hmm. Else. Later, I find found out scientifically, no, scientifically, that's actually happening on purpose. Like you're having attachment hormones coming through. And I remember being like, well, but why, why, do, why do some people, why are some women able to do that and not get attached, right? Or not ha- get catch feelings, Um And I do think a lot of that was from TV and like the TV and the movies that I grew up watching and, you know, the, the nineties, early two thousands where women were meant to be like sexy all the time, even if it was like badass, messy, sexy, but there was still like, still kind of like sexy, like the girls in the craft or something like, yeah, they're all still wearing like short ass skirts, even though they're like wild witches. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and then all of the films where it's just like the, there, there was never any conversations around sex in any Hollywood. So I always say that I kind of blame Hollywood and Disney if I have to blame, but I talk about this in my book and I'm like, and I take responsibility for myself. I'm not a victim, but yeah. I did watch all that stuff. I mean, I had a single mom. I, I was like a latchkey kid, went home alone after school, like I watched whatever was on TV. You know, I went to the movies yeah. with my friends starting at a young age. I remember watching um, the, is it called, not Crush. What is it with Mark Wahlberg and Reese Witherspoon? Oh God, I don't know. Okay, you guys know the one we're talking about where he like, <laughs> it's like total psycho. She's wearing her short skirt and he's fingering her on the roller coaster and she's having like the best orgasm of her oh, life. Oh yes, uh-huh, yes. But there were all those types of scenes, you know, in all mm-hmm. these movies and the bad boys and the this and the that. And right. I think it's only recently that I've been like, wait a minute. What if I'm, there's nothing wrong with me if I don't want to have sex every day or three times a week or four times a week or whatever the number is. Sure. Like, what if there's nothing wrong with me? Um, and yeah, and I'm like, wow, it's really taken to being an adult to, to, to consider that we have different phases of our own. And that, and that was the next question I wanted to ask you is just like, do you feel like sometimes as sexual beings, we can have okay, like say a phase where our queerness is more prominent or where asexuality is more prominent or a certain thing. And is there any rhyme or reason to that? I don't think so. I think that we are humans and we are incredibly complex. And I know for me, I can't speak for other people, but I know for me, I am incredibly sensitive. Like my environment often dictates the way I'm able to access or not access certain parts of my sexuality. Um, My sexuality is very much tied to my mental health. My mental health is tied to whether or not I'm feeling safe in my environment. Um, So, I mean, there's so many things that I I think sometimes we forget that we are not just human beings having the experience that we're having in in a vacuum, you know, like we are constantly in places of stress and trauma. I mean, let's talk about the constant trauma experience that we're all having during this pandemic, you know? And I've heard from a lot of people, especially as I've been very honest about like, you know, the fact that my number in July was a lot lower than my number in December. Um, and people will be like, yeah, I noticed that I haven't been having sex at all. And I've, I've been feeling really bad about that, about myself. And I'm like, you do realize we're in a global pandemic, right? Like it's, it's so okay for us to not be accessing our best selves 
during a time that is really trying us, you know, it's, it's really difficult. So I, I think the more that we just give ourselves space and grace to be where we are and to not cement ourselves into identities or numbers, but just allowing ourselves to be like, okay, who am I today? What is present for me today? What can I show up for today? I think that's a lot better than thinking like, well, I came out as this. So that means I have to feel like this to the 10th degree all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, I was, I was actually just talking about that um, to my partner the other day. Cause sometimes I'll like, ever since I came out as asexual, I've been like, man, but sometimes I don't feel asexual though. Like yesterday I had a moment where all I wanted to do was like jump in your lap and like give you a blow job. And then there are other days where I'm like, I can't be bothered. I don't want to have sex yeah. at all. Yeah. And my job is to not abandon myself, to stay in union with myself and remember that like, it's going to change. You know, I'm a yeah. human being and every day is different. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Do you feel like at times we as humans can kind of get out of practice of having sex, whether it's with ourselves or a partner where it's like, oh, you know, if I just showed up to my yoga mat, maybe mm. kind of like I would start getting back into it. Do you think that that's a thing? Do you, or is there a way to tell for people like, Hey, maybe it is time to kind of like start just trying masturbation a little self-pleasure a little like, or, you know, the times where it's just like, no, you're not feeling it. Don't do it. Yeah. I mean, like oh, there's so many things coming up. I, I think it goes back to a want and a should again, you know, um, if you have a desire to get back on the saddle, then, and it's coming from a place of like, oh, I remember when I used to like masturbate like three times a week, I miss that. I want to do that again. Um, and like, I, I think that that is a much better way of approaching it than like, I used to masturbate three times a week and I'm not doing it. Why am I not doing it? I should be doing it. There's something wrong with me, which is how we can spiral into things. Um, I would also say too, that like, I do believe in like, if you don't use it, you'll lose it, you know? Yeah. And I think sometimes, especially because we are living in very unsexy and unsensual times, we might need to create space for our sensual, sensual, uh, sensuality and our sexual selves to be put in more of our field of vision. Because like, as I said before, I have a puppy. And so all I'm thinking about is when was the last time she peed? Does she need to eat? She really needs to take a nap. Basically what I'm trying to say is like sex and sensuality is so far away from my brain right now but I don't like that. I actually want for there to be moments where I can be soft with my own body and I can luxuriate in the pleasure experience that I'm having by smelling a flower. So I think that's when it comes time to think about like, what are ways that I can prioritize sensuality or pleasure or sexuality in my day-to-day -day life? And I think what happens is we jump so quickly into, well, I got to masturbate more. And I'm like, maybe take a couple steps back. Right. Like, what does it look like for you to have a pleasurable experience that has nothing to do with sex as yeah. a way to just like bring that back into your yeah. life? Like you don't necessarily, sex isn't the only place to experience pleasure, you know? Absolutely. And that's, that's not the only way that we can um, sort of flex that muscle. So what does it look like for you to prioritize pleasure or sensuality um, 
in sort of like bite-sized pieces that don't have mm. you just jumping right into, well, I got to take out my wand and masturbate today. Absolutely. You know? Okay. So I want to hear what your top three kind of bite-sized things would be. Oh, there's so many top uh, three um, or five or however many you want. Sure. I mean, first thing that came up for me is eating pastries. I mm. fucking love pastries. Mm. Um, and my partner knows this. He knows that like the way to my heart and my pussy is through pastries. <laughs> so, so he'll buy me pastries and I'm just like, I fucking love you literally. Mm. Um, so yeah, anytime he gets me a pastry, I just try to slow down and like mm. enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm not wolfing it down, but I'm just like, oh, this is so good. And sometimes I'll like move my body a little bit and make noises like that to me is that to me feels very similar to sex. Um, so yeah, pastries, um, breathing has been a big one for me, something I haven't done in a long time. Um, but I I'm certified as, as a breath worker and, um, uh, I haven't done this in many, many weeks because my world has been taken over by a puppy, but, um, the moments that I can remember to be still and to breathe and like fill my lower belly with, with breath and to like exhale really intentionally out of my mouth. Like that to me is not only an invitation into being present, but it's also an invitation for me to soften in my body. Um, I carry a lot of tension in my shoulders. I'm an anxious person. And so anytime I can breathe, it's like, oh, that's right. I can activate and access that softness. Um, and then let me think of one more. Mm. Mm. Those are both uh, really good. Okay, good. I, I, I was just going to say cooking. Cooking is oh. another really wonderful sensual experience for me. It's It's a really great way for me to slow down and also... Yeah it stimulates my senses as yeah. as well. So I love, I love to cook. Um, even mm. if I'm dog tired, I'm like, I need to cook because my body and my sensuality needs it right yeah. now. I, I love those three and they're big for me. Not exact with the pastry, but <laughs> chocolate or something like yeah. delectable. Um, mm-hmm. and even with a pastry, like I often feel like I'm being European, like I'm living a European lifestyle, which feels inherently sensual. Like I just it really does. I'm like, yes. oh, I'm so French. Okay. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like an American who's obsessed about every calorie and just like making my power milkshake or whatever, a smoothie to right. start the day. Like I've, I've let go of that kind of like patriarchal productivity hustle and yes. I'm just enjoying life. Like it could be in Italy or Paris. And I, I feel that every time I go get a croissant. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. My, there's this, um, there's this place in LA. I go to, um, this farmer's market. I don't even know what this stand is called because all I just, all I know is that they make the best croissants that I've ever had in my life. And, um, I, yeah, I, that's like my love language for me is just eating one of those. And immediately I'm like, this life is not so bad because we have chocolate almond croissants. <laughs> mm, so good. So good. Yes. And cooking. I also, you know, like I kind of feel like because maybe some of our grandfather grandmothers were like 1950s housewives cooking for the men. And then like my mom was like single working mom, like craft Mac and cheese, but with some mixed greens, you know? Yeah. And, um, 
you know, I had this idea when I was younger that cooking was not feminist and not empowered. Mm. And like, I remember being like, I don't want to learn how to cook mom. I don't need to know that. Like, and then eventually I did learn how to cook. I actually worked as a nanny and personal chef as a job in New York for a family while I was also a writer and a filmmaker. And I was like, I want to learn how to cook. And now it just, it immediately drops me into my body. Yes. It immediately activates my senses and it is so meditative, but pleasurable, not stillness meditation, but like pleasurable. And like, it just, it makes me so happy recently. I'm reclaiming that time for myself. And I think oh, that what wonderful. we're talking about is taking time, whether it's taking time to stop and breathe, taking time to stop and enjoy the croissant, taking time to stop and cook. It's that brings us back into the senses, which then could be a bridge to sex or not. But without the bridge, I mean, to me, without the bridge, I'm like, ah, because I'm not like a kind of a overt sexual where I just want to like be, be touching parts really fast. I want to be sensual. I want to read erotica. I want to almost like court my sexuality before Mm. I sort of like ask it to just like be turned on at a 10. Yeah. I'm the same Um, way. Yeah. And so, and, and I, I think that's just something that I'm, I've come to terms with It's beautiful. So I love hearing you say that it's like, you know, sometimes like going back to the mat or going back to practice and with your own pleasure, your own sexuality doesn't have to be sexual. I love hearing Mm -hmm. that. Like, that's what I got from what you just said, um, which I just feel is so powerful. Um, tell us about your book as we close out. I would love to hear. It looks incredible. It looks like a great way to, um, access a lot of what we talked about today. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. My book is called Sensual Self. Uh, it is a guided journal that is meant to help you connect to your sensuality. Um, I have written it in a way where there's a little bit of, um, a little bit of stuff from me where I talk about what sensuality is and, the ways that I grew up thinking about sensuality and the intersections of sensuality and pleasure and sexuality. Uh, But the rest of the book is for you to discover. Um, There are prompts and practices inside that are designed to help you connect to your body, um, connect to your emotional body, uh, your physical body, as well as like the pleasure that is um, possible for you. Um, there's also some exercises in there that you can try in terms of connecting to your breath. And, um, I wrote this book because I, I really wanted for people to embody sensuality on their own terms. I didn't want to write a book that was like, this is what sensuality is. And this is how you practice it. Right. right, right. <laughs> you know, like it was really important for me to, um, to give people the tools to discover their own sensual selves on their own terms without me being an authority figure telling them what to do. So in a lot of ways, this book is like a manual that you write uh, for your sensuality and even parts of your sexuality too. I have a couple questions in there. It's not super sex focused because I really feel like this is, I mean, you're talking about a bridge. This is a bridge, I think, to um, to accessing your sexuality. But um, there are a couple of questions in there about like, how do you want to feel when you have sex? And um, what does an enthusiastic yes feel like in your body? 
I'm just really getting down to the body's wisdom and also your own wisdom about what feels good and, and doesn't feel good for you. So yeah, Sensual Self is available wherever you find books and I'm really proud of it. It's, it's been out for a couple of months and I'm just so happy um, hearing the feedback that I've already been getting from folks who have been going through it and having all these different like breakthroughs and excitations. So yeah, it's been lovely. So good. Well, I hope everybody listening, please go by the sensual self because it looks incredible. Also your podcast is a treasure and Thank you. I, there's just something about it that feels so personal and just kind and soft and inviting. I don't know. Those mm. are the, like the words of like, just inviting us into your world, whether it gave me permission. I was like, oh, wow. Like, yeah. Sometimes I think I have to be so sort of linear in my own kind of solo podcasts and things. And I just, I got a lot of permission from hearing you just talk about like the music you you listen to in the bath. (laughs) I was like, like, oh, that's actually, I want to hear that about the people that I find inspiring, you know, like I don't want to just hear like the clear ideas and the things that they're promoting. I want to hear what music they're listening to in the bathtub. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I want to hear that too. I'm more interested in people like being real and human as opposed to always talking about like, this is how you fix your life, or this is how you have the best sex ever. Like it's so important to me that I am authentic in my process. Um, because that is how I have been able to learn. And that's how I've been able to heal and liberate myself. So I want to offer that to other people. Yeah. So generous. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming here today. You are, you have so much um, wisdom and from a really soft place, which feels really good to receive. So I really Mm. appreciate your time and energy and I hope everyone enjoyed this podcast. Please send it along to all your friends and go by the sensual self and I'll see you again soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo, and you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events, and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.